Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you tonight, Laura? I'm great, but I just looked out the window, and I think we're about to get a big storm. Is it storming where you are? Uh, no. It's a little dark, but not like, you know, any second imminent, no. Looks like you're well, sitting at you looks, before it hits us. Uh, it looks like the wind is blowing maybe 50 miles an hour. By the way, the trees are all bending. Oh, my. So, Bill's yeah, at the golf course, so I hope it doesn't hit too soon. Well, maybe he'll come on home. He had yeah, sense enough close. to get out of the rain, right? Yeah. He, he got rained out yesterday. Yeah, he, hopefully he'll get a one round in. Maybe he will. Have you had a good weekend? Yeah. Very nice. Greta and I went to uh, Nashville yesterday for uh, shopping purposes, and we joked all the way home all we bought was one horse and two pillows. <laughs> It was it was a lot of driving for not much purchasing, but it was fun. I'm sure you had a good time. I've been doing we, mailers all weekend. Oh, so well, I think my, my day was better than your day. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like doing that. Speaking of mailers, let me go ahead and get going and give the conference dates in case you haven't been listening to the past few shows. I my conference schedule for the fall is out, and we are raring to go. Uh, I'll be in Atlanta on September 27th and 28th, Columbus, Ohio on October 11th and 12th, and Chicago on October 25th and 26th. It's a two-day format this year. The first day is an updated version of my earlier conference, earlier speech-language development, taking theory to the floor. This day two is a half day, so you're done by 1230, so you get the whole day off work. You're over in the workshop until 1230. That's a good deal, I think. Uh, and it's yeah, it's easy to be in Columbus, Atlanta, or Chicago, <laughs> so those are fun places to have an afternoon. Yeah, and so uh, that day is based on the new book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, and I cannot tell you, I say this every week, how excited I am about that conference. I wanted to say, too, it's ASHA approved for speech-language pathologists for CEUs. I always get that question, and then we have submitted it as well to the state of Georgia and the state of Illinois for approval for their early uh, intervention programs. Both of those states have approval uh, processes that you have to get the course approved before you're allowed to get credit, I think. Our state, you can just submit it after the fact and get it approved, I think. You can still do that in Kentucky, right? I have no idea. (laughs) Well, anyway... In Georgia, we've gotten some emails from therapists, especially in Illinois, wanting to know if it's been approved through their state program. And that process is on the way. And unless I just can't imagine that it would not be approved because it's gotten approved every other state and every other body we've ever tried to get it approved through. So I'm sure that that uh, notification will be forthcoming. So I wanted to mention that. Um, And I have been doing mailers all weekend, and we have gotten a good response and have people registering from all over the country for all three conferences. So when the mailers go out, and I said this last week, to the local people, don't wait. If you're planning on coming, if you've already made your travel plans but you haven't officially registered, don't do that because I fully expect these events to sell out just based on our our previous responses. And since this is our third year, I can kind of judge now. And I wanted to mention, too, if you want a mailer and you don't think you'll be on a mailing list, and we target early intervention providers and pediatric speech pathologists um, in those local areas, if you want to come from somewhere and you want to see the mailer, it's not vastly different from what's on the website, but I will be more than happy to email you or email me your address, and I'll be more than happy to pop one in the mail. And so I wanted to mention that. And my email address is laura at teachmetotalk.com. I did want to mention one thing about that, too. If I'm getting a ton of emails from moms every day, and I'm not talking about little emails. I'm talking like uh, confessions of their souls with everything that's going on with their kids. And I'm having a really, really, really tough time responding to all of those. 
Um, so I think I'm going to have to say that I'll probably only get to respond to comments on the website from now on because it's. I feel obligated when someone has poured out their heart and soul to respond, but then I don't have enough hours in the day to get through all those emails. And I've talked to you about that a lot over the last few weeks, I believe, and, you know, my angst about that. And so I think that this would be a good place to talk about it on the podcast. So if you need a response from me, please put a comment on the website because you'll probably start to get a little um, feedback email that says, I can't really respond to the number of emails that I get. And boy, do I wish that I could. And I've got people before have said, I don't even know if this is you responding. Let me tell you, if you get a response back, it is me. I would never <laughs> leave that to someone to put my name on. So I'd rather not Not respond. even me. You've never even <laughs> mentioned it, Laura. I've even thought about it, and I thought, no, that wouldn't be right. But, yeah, you know, it's that's so neat that you've been able to do that. But there's so much else that you're into that, you know, and a lot of times, yeah. and I don't mean to say anything out of turn here, Lard, you know, inappropriate, but, and we've kind of, well, let me just say, it seems like even though each person's situation is very personal to them, sometimes there are very much related things already on the website, right. you know what I mean? Right, exactly. And, and you, sometimes you're kind of saying the same things, even though to right. them it's totally unique and novel and you know, of course, terribly right. important. It is kind of repetitive at some point. So maybe just a little heads up to people if, you know, to read through things in the right. past because I think a lot of times they can pull out things that are very relevant to their specific child in their specific exactly. situation. And yeah. there are comments from parents dating back to January 2008. And you could probably find some response that would be very similar. The other kind of email that I get that I haven't answered for a long time is when somebody says something like, Laura, my child is not talking. What should I do? And I want to say, (laughs) first of all, I don't know anything. There's nothing that you've told me, you know, that would even put me on the right advice to you. And secondly, that's what the website's for, and that's what the products are for. Uh, so mm-hmm. take a look at the DVDs and three therapy books are on there. And so that's the other thing, too, is when somebody sends me something that's so general. And so, again, I love getting emails, and I so wish I had all the time in the world to sit and respond to those. But in the last week, I've probably, you know, I've just gotten a lot, and I'll try to respond, and then I'll think, gosh, I'm not even really doing this justice because I want to say this and I want to say this. and There are just not enough hours in the day that everything's going on. So if you're listening and you're thinking of that and sending me a novella about you and your child, I would love to read that and respond, but I really I can't anymore. So just put a comment on the website. And, again, my website is teachmetotalk.com, and I'm going to be so dedicated to answering comments on the website because then it's, it's good for everyone and for every parent that would read that, and I truly think so you're saying, that's where the best information is. Maybe obvious, but so some people send you like personal emails and want a personal response, and other people essentially say the same stuff on the website, and then it's shared. And you know, people can not use the kid's name, cannot just so they give the pertinent information that's that reveals the child. They don't have to necessarily reveal themselves or the child. It's just exactly you know that way. Yeah, And I guess okay. they do feel like it's a little bit more personal. And I'm going to answer all comments on the website, and that is going to be my number one priority. But sometimes I've felt so, um, you know, when a mom has, you know, written me, what if I printed it out, it would be five or six pages of details, and then I don't respond. You know, sometimes my priorities have been have shifted so that I'm responding to all these personal emails and not getting to comments on the website, and that is really backward from how the priority should be. So I'm just putting it out there, and I'll put a little blurb about that on the website this week because I'm, I'm not really going to answer personal emails anymore unless I have met you and your child. And so those moms that have come to see me and come to see us this summer and are listening and are thinking, oh, no, she said she would answer my emails. Yes, I will always answer your emails. You will be on my Virtual caseload forever. I'm just talking about. 
moms that have, that I don't know personally that I haven't had the opportunity to meet who are sharing, again, such detailed information. There's no way I can do it justice. So anyway, all right, wanted to get that out there. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, this week, Therapy Tip of the Week, I did have an opportunity to get that done, and boy, have I gotten great response from that. It was a long one, and it's about using farm animals and play with toddlers. And then something you said to me, Kate, triggered that, boy, we should do this as a show, because I said to you, oh, got Therapy Tip of the Week done this week, because you had been asking me about that the last couple of weeks. You're always so sweet to mention that. And when we were talking on... I guess it was Friday. I told you that that's what I'd spent the morning doing. And you said, oh, I don't get as good a luck with farm animals. And so we were just talking about that. And I said, well, wait a minute. I, I didn't, that wasn't really the focus. You're talk, when you said that to me, you were talking about the little routines and the. What was it? You said, well, I don't really use farm animals or get the. Um, use them like you do or as often as you do. So that will be good for me to. To, I'll, I'll like that therapy tip of the week. No, I, I said I use ideas. them. I do use them. I just don't think I use them particularly well. You know what I mean? It's okay. like I try it and I never, not never, occasionally right. it, it's a success. But it's a miss at least as much as it's a success for me. And I've always kind of thought um, I'm not doing something quite right on this because it seems like I should be able to do better. And you talk about how well so-and-so did with farm animals and Right. How much you do that, and and I always think I'm not too great at that. So we'll see. And I think um, it's so always what did you do? You made a whole that. darn show about it, so I could prove <laughs> that. I <laughs> no, no. But see, this is what I said. I said, well, Kate, you are talking about the how-to, the little routines that you do, and the things that make it more fun. And I said, I didn't really do that with therapy tips of the week. I did the what to do, the vocabulary to use, the goals you should be working on the specific toys to use, I didn't really do the how-to, which is, I think, what you were probably referring to because Lord knows you have the toys already. And you right. know, you know, and we would work on the same kinds of goals with them. But I think when you were saying that to me, I took that with, you know, what songs do you sing? What fun things do you do? What do you think kids like? And I thought, well, I didn't even talk about that in the video. Why don't we do the podcast about that? Because I think... These kinds of shows are what our therapist friends respond to me most about. Even even people that are local will kind of comment about activity kinds of podcasts versus more philosophical kinds of podcasts like uh, we've done in the past where we've talked about a diagnosis or we've done whatever. So I like to kind of mix it up and have a variety of shows. And I do think parents will excuse me, benefit from this show too because they need to know how to do it in addition to what to do, but I think the what to do always comes first with if you're playing with farm animals, these would be some good accessories to get and these would be the kinds of goals you would be working toward. But then I thought, boy, you know, like every other show or idea I get, it's not just a little 15-minute blurb. It turns into a whole series, and I'm hoping the farm animal show won't do that, but you never know. So. Anyway, As I read your outline, I was laughing and thinking, this is not going to be one show. I'm going to have to be tortured through a number of shows about how I'm not going to do And if you feel tortured through it, we're certainly not going to do it. We'll wrap it up. No, I'm kidding. It just is funny. I was thinking, yeah, here I tell her I'm not good at it, and now I have to do a show about it. Oh, boy. Okay, here goes. No, I you know, as I saw your thing, I thought, well, I don't know. I just, it's not, maybe there's something inherent about me that I don't love the farm animals as much as I love other things, and I think that always kind of secretly comes out, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. Maybe I just need to embrace the farm animal theme a little bit more fully. And well, this is what I think about that, and I, this is what I think about that. You know, you talk about using that great Cookie Monster toy that we have a lot and getting much better results with lower functioning or kids who are really developmentally lower than the kids that I use my Cookie Monster with because I have a different set of routines and a different mm -hmm. set of kind of goals that I work on with that. So I think that's all it is. It's just a, um, it's just kind of a different routine, a different approach. And so, and the other thing that I mentioned to you on Friday was that I think even though we get the same kinds of kids sometimes, 
overall, you might have kids with that are uh, have less developed play skills. The majority of your caseload might be that way, whereas certainly I see kids like that, but I might get kids that are further along with play just because of the nature of the differences with what I specialize in versus speech pathologists. Don't you think that's partially true, too? Yeah, I think that certainly plays a role, although I do see some pretty speechy kids, and those kids I tend to be the did. kids who do better with something like the farm animals exactly. and that sort of play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think there's some factors with both of those. And so, and I always love it when we get in, you know, in the summer we've gotten to work together since you're coming and we're doing those comprehensive avails in my new office. And, you know, I'd love to get to see your take on things. And even though we talk about it every week in the podcast and certainly in our personal conversations for over the last 15 years now, it's still different (laughs) when I see you play. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's still different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've loved that this summer and getting to see that and stuff. So that's been a lot of fun for me. Um, but my point is sometimes talking about these things and seeing them, I just love getting the new ideas and thinking, oh, that's a cute way to do it. Oh, I never thought of that like that. Oh, that would be fun. You know, so right. hopefully. And it's funny sometimes when you see them, you kind of know, oh, that'll be a winner. You know, <laughs> you yeah. think, ding, ding, ding. I have five kids who are going to love that. Yeah. Well, and that's the therapy tip of the week when they are more um, how to do it based, you know, what it looks like, then I think therapists watch it and think, oh, I can do that. That's a good good script. I'll I'll pilfer that. Uh And I think that's fine. We might have to do a follow-up there. What's that? That's the appeal of this show is the whole how-to. Because we all have the theory, oh, ingrained, Mm -hmm. or hopefully so, but just Engage the a whole, child and play with a farm, you know, with right. farm animals. Okay, right. sounds easy. Now do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So sometimes it's that how-to that makes it makes it better. So let's talk about that. And we're going to talk about different goals or different approaches or routines that we would use based on where the child is functioning developmentally. And that's where I think can make or break a activity. Because if you sat down with a child who really isn't at this level of play yet and tried to just bring out the barn and have five or six animals and a couple of tractors, you know, and another accessory or two and just sat there, more than likely he's going to get up and walk away because that's not going to be very interesting to him and very fun for him because he doesn't know how to do pretend play yet. And farm animals fall kind of fall into that almost higher level uh, stimuli or material to use because there you have to have a certain ability and be far enough along cognitively and with your play skills for these kinds of toys to be fun unless you have an adult teaching you how to do it and teaching you how to play. And so, again, this, like every other kind of toy we would talk about, you know, it really depends on how you use it as to how effective you're going to be with it. So for the first part of the show tonight, let's talk about what to do if it's a kid's very first kind of exposure to this kind of play and ways to make it more fun and more interesting. And again, for therapists who might be listening who say, well, gosh, I don't really have much luck with that, it could be that the children that you're presenting that to just aren't there yet with their pretend play skills and, you know, need more of you to step in and intervene and make it more fun and more exciting and this kind of thing. The other thing that I think we talked about on Friday, Kate, um, with farm animals, too, is that with some kids, and I, I certainly do this, if, I, if they're not ready for it yet, I don't even use it. I wait until they're developmentally there and until I feel like that it would be a hit before I would even think about using this. Because, you know, you have some kids that you just think, gosh, he's not going to be interested in it. He's still so tied up in social games and in movement activities. This is not going to be fun enough for him. This is not going to be uh, interesting enough for him to want to sit with me. He doesn't have a strong enough uh, vocabulary base yet for this to make any real sense to him. 
So that's part of it, too, and we'll talk about, if you have a kid like that, ideas that would help, hopefully, get him over the hump. And let me just say, too, that no toy is ever guaranteed. It's always in how you present it, the kid's mood that day, and, again, whether he's functioning developmentally. No toy is ever a 100% hit. Boy, we have some that are maybe at that 98 and 99 percentiles, but nothing is foolproof for every kid every time, do you think? Unfortunately, no. That would make our lives a lot easier. Boring, but easy. Um, No, you never know. And like you said, sometimes it's a hit one day and then you go the next week and you think, well, he loved it last week and darned he's really not very interested the following week. So certainly no guarantee. Exactly. But farm toys are pretty universally appealing, and I talked about this in the video. And sometimes, occasionally, a therapist will say, I don't, you know, I live in New York or I live in uh, Los Angeles or, you know, another big city. You know, that won't be a great therapy activity for me. I would never work on that. That's not functional. You know, and I just think that's a little misguided because so uh, many other kinds of toys that are made for toddlers and young children really have farm animals as part of their theme. I mean, even, you know, thinking about books, thinking about puzzles, thinking about other toys like the CNSA, even other more complex toys like Lula's Pet Shop, they have some farm animals in there. Or, um, you know, even sets of things for, say, Barbie, and uh, you know, or even older toys might have some animals that are part of their other little play sets, or even like kids' wallpaper and pajamas and things that are loosely related that would be kid-themed have farm animals as part of um, the vocabulary. So I, I still think it's an important Concept. Yeah, you can't really get past, oh, McDonald had a farm. You know, I mean, that's pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they don't go to the farm, still they're going to hear about the farm. And kids shows it's a reoccurring theme over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, it's just pretty fun. I think animals are pretty interesting for young kids to learn about and think about. And so we have to be. And we have to include that in our early language teaching too. And again, it just gives you one more, one more thing to work on and and play with. And on your test specifically, Kate, the test that you use, the help, the Hawaii, I think it's Hawaii Early Learning Profile, isn't one of the skills that you actually that's on your test matches animal sounds to animals. Right. Yeah. So that's um, on there. Certainly is. Let me see. I'm looking at it. Where it is? Is, is it, it not on the uh, Rosetti? It's not. No. Yeah. And it's they really actually, not. Go ahead. It's, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's it's not really on any language test. For, you know what it is, and it is in the Rosetti with imitates animal sounds, but it to to me. Your skill is even more, or the thing that you're looking at is even more a reason to teach it because it says, I think that it says that the child knows or associates animal sounds with animals or something like that. Did you find exactly yeah. what it says? On? It's, okay. it's in the cognitive portion of the help, and it's in the associative category between 18, this is just the age range in case anybody cares, between 18 and 22 months matches sounds to animals, and then 22 to 24 months months matches sounds to pictures of animals, which, again, that that ups the cognitive ante quite a bit when you move from the actual object to the picture of the object. We know we lose some of our kids at that level, but that that's 22 to 24 months. So by two... They should be able to associate animals with the sounds and then pictures of the animals with their corresponding sounds. Well, there you and go. My and, yeah, and how many of our little guys who were on our earlier invention caseloads can't do that naturally? And so what that means for us as therapists is, and for parents of those children, is we're going to have to teach it. And I use this phrase all the time. 
we're teaching, not testing, because even great therapists will get caught up in keeping so much data and measuring a child's performance to the point that they only test it, they forget to teach it. They forget that they need to spend a while introducing the concept and reviewing it, and that's where all that narration comes in. And again, you know, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. But at the same time, you have to teach it, and your child has to be exposed to new vocabulary a while before we're ever able really to test what he or she knows. And again, this is particularly important for children that we know who are struggling to learn to understand and use language. So we have to be sure that we are purposefully thinking in our minds, this is a teaching day. This is where I'm I'm really teaching. I'm not really so focused on outcomes and so focused on measuring and so focused on data that I forget that I have to teach it first before I can test it or before I can measure it. A lot of times new therapists get caught up in that and that the whole uh, the whole evidence-based practice movement and the whole, you know, with insurance-driven reimbursement, that we have to be so careful with our documentation and so careful with keeping our data. And that is all important, but I think that we forget that we're teachers before we're any of that other stuff and need to really think about that uh, and and let that be a driving force behind lots of our therapy sessions rather than always looking for that measurement piece. Does that make sense to you? It does. Oops. Yes, it does. You know, one of the things I like about animals other than, yeah, it's on the test and they're expected to know it, is that just it does seem like so many kids, that's some of their earliest attempts at imitating is with the animal sounds. You know, those seem right. to be, like you said, inherently fun. Whether they're ever going to pet a sheep or milk a cow themselves, doing moo and baa loud and goofy can be highly motivating. Um, exactly. So that's <laughs> that's another added bonus is how many kids will. You can't get them to imitate one darn thing, but you start those fun animal sounds and, you know, even if it's way off, they're giving it their best shot. So. They're trying, and it's not, you hit the nail on the head. It's novel, it's kind of new, and it's, fun, it's silly, it's goofy, it's ridiculous. And a lot of times that's when parents and therapists too are the most playful, you know, when you're panting like a dog or quacking like a duck. You sound a lot more fun than you probably do any other time when you're just doing your blah, blah, blah narration of when you're playing and you pull those animal sounds out and use those kinds of things. And that's when we see so many kids really try because they're more connected to you during that time and it's more... It's more enticing, it's more apt to be motivating for them, and it's usually a lot easier. A lot of those animal sounds when we're talking about imitating those are usually a consonant, vowel, syllable shape, and that is easier than a lot of times even the name for the, for the animal. Lots of our kids will just get stuck on using the sound the animal makes for the name, and a lot of parents get upset about that, and I've heard therapists say, I'm not counting, that is a word, that's an animal sound, that's not a word, and you know, if you listen to the show for <laughs> more than a few weeks, uh, you'll know that I think if I can spell it, it counts as a word to me. And really, if you're thinking about simplicity and syllable shapes and even something as complex as phonological processes, that constant vowel or, you know, even if it's uh, just a vowel sound, it, I, I don't care if a kid goes, ooh, for me, I, you know, I'm counting it. It's a word attempt. So, you know, again, it makes it more simple in addition to being more fun and more engaging. All right. So let's talk about what we would do for kids who aren't really to the stage. They're going to be able to do a lot of pretend play yet. How would you get them engaged with farm animals? And if you've been to my conference or bought Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual, there's a great hierarchy um, with toys, with the kinds of toys that are appropriate for toddlers and kind of the order that we teach things in. And I think about farm animals as kind of that 
maybe fourth level down, which in my mind, you know, movement activities and toys come first, and kids are usually engaged in that kind of stuff first, the social game stuff. Then kids kind of move through cause and effect toys, and those would be kind of our easier, um, you know, you, you push the button and this happens, or you push the lever and this happens, and again, they're pretty fast-moving toys, like maybe a gumball machine or... Um, even a ball, a hammer toy or a little racetrack, something where you're pushing a button and then there's an action. The next little level of toys would be where it's something just a teeny bit more complex, and I call those sit-down acti- activities, and those would be more like shape sorters or maybe even blocks where you're required to actually do something a little more than one motor action. And then I think about farm animals as that next category, which, again, for me, I've called that vocabulary building because you're using lots of different toys. And by this time, children usually have pretty good attention spans. And that's why I think we lose a lot of kids with our farm animal toys is they're just not there yet when you're looking at that whole kind of play as to how that would be appealing. And attention-wise, they're, they're just not there. They need something that moves a little faster. So how can we use farm animals in ways that would still kind of look like a movement activity or sort of be more cause and effect based than just sitting down and really truly playing with it? So that being said, some of the some of the ideas that I do is I almost always try to put a physical movement with that kind of play. And Kate, you talk about this all the time when we've talked to moms this summer about how when you're playing with him, if he's <laughs> if he seems to kind of be losing it or not paying as much attention, you've really recommended a lot to moms just kind of grab him and shake him, you know, just kind of <laughs> give him a jolt. So if we were playing with farm animals, what we might do is maybe hide the animal in the kid's shirt and. I hide things in kids' shirts all the time. But for kids who aren't really ready to play with the farm animal set, you know, and you're, they're just kind of sitting there looking at you and about to run away, grab a cow, grab a duck, grab the dog, and stick it in your shirt and start your little play routine with, you know, maybe saying, quack, 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 you know, where's duck, 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 where are you, where are you? And you could, you know, again, slow it down way uh, slower than I'd, said that just then, but you want to make a big deal about that, and you're touching them, you know, you're wiggling that duck or whatever animal you use under their shirt. If they like singing, you can go into the little where oh where song, but you're giving them an opportunity to stay with you. You've made it a lot more fun, and you put that physical piece in there, and you've added the cognitive piece and the problem-solving piece. They've got to figure out how to get the duck out. Now, some kids will be a little bit alarmed if you've never done that kind of thing with them before. Uh, a little guy that we saw last week, <laughs> nobody had ever hidden anything in his shirt, but boy, didn't he like that after I started doing it. Yeah, I pretty much, and you know, that is something that I've had a fair number of mothers kind of go, well, I never thought to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of instinct for me at this point, but I don't think it's really instinct for um, most people who don't do this for a living and sometimes even people who do. It just seems I always kind of, oh, I don't know, theorize that if you put it, bring them into it more fully like that by including mm-hmm. their little bodies, I frequently walk animals up their legs and up their arms and all of a sudden this thing that was really pretty disconnected and foreign to them is walking up their arm and all of a sudden they're really engaged with that and it's pretty um, social and fun and so yeah. yes you're, you're right I do harp <laughs> and and I've been surprised when my moms have said I never really thought about doing that. And, you know, what's wonderful is that you see the kid lighting up and you see the kid smiling and and maybe laughing and looking at you and thinking, you are crazy, but this is pretty fun. Right. I'm having this. And that's what I do. I kind of work up their leg, up their arm. They're going to move. They're going to quack, quack. Um, you know, with hard enough so they can kind of feel it if it's a cat. Sure. My cats are always very, very slinky up their arms, and they meow all the way up, and kids just like, woo-hoo-hoo, this is cool. Um, and then the uh, coup de gras is you put it under their shirt, and that is really um, just most kids 
really, I rarely have a kid not like that, even kids with a lot of sensitivities and, you know, even kids who have diagnoses being on the spectrum. Boy, just hiding it in their shirt is probably one of my A number one go-to approaches to see uh, how they're going to like it. Normally, they really do. Even if you're a little surprised by it at the beginning, even if you think, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't know about this, go ahead and keep doing it. Because unless they're just outright giving you signs of refusing, a lot of times a kid will act like, what was that? And, you know, there are kids who take a little bit longer to process. And if this is a completely novel activity and nobody's ever done that before, they're going to need to do it a few times before they even know if they like it. So don't let an initial kind of... uh, you know, kids might not laughing or uh, really smiling at the beginning, even if they're just really looking at their shirts like, where did that go? You know, keep um, trying that and being persistent because I've had a lot of kids that didn't look like they liked it the first time and then five or six times later they're loving it and then 10 or 12 times later they're initiating it by lifting up their shirts and trying to put and saying, hey, put there. it back under there. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool. <laughs> that was well, fun. and you know, a lot of times, Laura, I think that, um, and I've seen this happen, sometimes people think, especially with those kids who have a lot of sensory issues and touch is oftentimes difficult or can be for those types of kids, a lot of times what I do I think is almost a little counterintuitive for some folks. If I do it and I get... Mm, uh, limited or, you know, not particularly um, positive response, a lot of times the next time I do it, I do it bigger. And, by, yeah. and, and again, I've struggled, and you've used that terminology, and sometimes I think it's hard to define what bigger means in our world. Right. But um, that might mean I, I'm a little louder. I I put it on their chest a little firmer than I did the time before. Maybe it needs to wiggle once it gets under his shirt you know, whatever that bigger, you know, make it more noticeable for the kid. Um, And I don't know that everybody naturally goes there if the kid seems a little put off in the first place. Are you going to make it bigger? I think a lot of people think, oh, I was too big. I need to pull that back. Right. Um, I think more often than not, nope, go bigger. It'll be better. Yeah. I think so, too. And a lot of therapists get blown out. They go, oh, I'm not into loud therapy. I'm not going to do it louder. And I always think, well, then I don't think you're as effective as you can be. Because if you go bigger and if you, you know, and again, we will have some kids that whose sensory thresholds are low, but hardly ever in this kind of context. It's hardly ever. I mean, I've hardly had this kind of activity go where a kid ends up really on the floor in a full-out tantrum. He might be a little bit surprised by it or a little, you know, some kids do look like, what is that in my shirt? They're a teeny bit alarmed almost, but not to the point where they don't love it after you've repeated it and repeated it and repeated it. So I think that's great advice. Just keep doing it and if you need to change it to make it more fun, always think about changing myself too with, you know, you've talked about doing it louder or uh, a little firmer touch or something, I try to make my facial expressions bigger, even if I'm not auditorily louder, you know, just a wider eyes or a bigger, you know, that kind of thing. Adding those little play sounds can make, oh, boy, it can save what looks like um a startled response or a kid's not quite sure how to react. If you're acting like it's funny and it's fun and like, oh, you know, I got you, you know, just silly, the child is much more likely to have a positive response. And I do think that some therapists or some parents might shy away from that thinking, oh, I'm not sure when your advice to go big would be the way to go. You know, just make yourself more playful and more fun more animated more exaggerated yeah. more yeah heightened affect yeah it's not always louder but it is right. usually bigger and and like bigger. i said that's mm-hmm. that can mean a lot of things but more noticeable more engaging more exciting right um right that heightened know. affect piece yeah mm-hmm. and so that's a really fun thing to do 
add the physical play with that. The other thing that you can add for kids who are not quite there yet with pretend play and you're really just introducing farm animals and you think, gosh, I'm not sure if this would be a hit or not, is use it in some other kind of sensory play. We've talked a lot about sensory boxes on the show in the past, and that means that you might use a material like beans or rice or pasta or anything like that to hide your farm animals in there, and then kids really like digging those out with either their hands or they might even use a big spoon or a shovel or anything like that. And just that whole hiding concept, I I think, again, it's an extension of that whole surprise thing like we just talked about with the shirt, hiding it, hiding those farm animals in another um, material is a lot of fun for kids. And I have good success with that. Even if kids aren't really naming those um, animals yet, it's a good way to introduce that vocabulary. You know, he digs out and you say, horse, there's horse. You found a horse. Yay, horse. So he's getting that language input, and you're able to do it better than if you just have five or six animals lined up in a row and you're saying, there's horse, there's cow, there's duck. You know, this is a lot more fun, a lot more <laughs> duck developmentally quack, appropriate. Quack. <laughs> yeah. It's better than a book, in my opinion, because the child is actually doing something, and I think young children learn by doing, and so you're giving them something to do. And this might be an essential way that you really expose them to farm animals. And, again, you might not hear that name. They may not say that word or imitate that animal sound for a while. And, you know, that happens in typical development, too. When we look at how typically developing children learn to understand words, they often understand much, much, much more than they can ever say. And you might have a child that you know, you know, our own children as as therapists, you know, and that's how we get our best language trained when we actually have a baby and see language develop right in front of our eyes. You know, I do a lot of times when my children were really young, you know, 12 months, 15 months, that they understood a word long before, for months before they could ever really say it or try to say it. And we forget that with our kids that are on our caseloads. We sometimes forget about how we really need evidence of them understanding it receptively for a while before we're ever going to hear that word. And so this is just a way to kind of build it and build that comprehension piece. And you're doing it over weeks and weeks or even months and months before you really expect them to be able to answer a question like, what's that? What's that? You know, try to stop yourself from doing that when, uh, you know, asking a kid 500 times in a row, if it's a nonverbal kid in your therapy session and you've said, what's that, more than a couple of times, <laughs> please don't expect that that kid, if he's nonverbal, is just going to start to pop out and answer that question. And how many times do we hear that with therapists? You know, and I model that phrase all the time, but I'm mostly doing it to get a kid's attention, to really direct his attention of what um we're playing, and I might even do it in a way that sounds a little stimming, like, you know, what's that? To get his yeah. attention so that he's going to do it, never really expecting that he's going to pop out, Laura, that's a horse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to learn that that's what that is. And that whole, what's that, needs to kind of be his cue to really listen that I'm going to model the word and give him a label for that. And, again, I cannot talk enough about how important receptive language is. And so for a kid who's at this developmental level, and, again, it's probably right at the 12-month level or maybe even less than that where kids are developmentally where they're not really playing yet or where they're not really even interested in this kind of play. And so you know developmentally you're not going to hear that word right away. You've got to lay the foundation And, again, sometimes for weeks or even months before you can realistically expect that you're going to get an expressive response. But sensory play is a fun way to do that. Another fun thing that moms naturally do is play in water with kids and so put some farm toys in the bathtub. And that would be a great way to introduce uh, farm animals. And you can have all your animals swim and they can jump and splash in the water and you I like to kind of hold animals under the water and then let them 
pop up and you can do a little verbal routine with that. You know, you can do your where's cow, where's cow, where's cow, and then let it kind of pop up. Um, or any kind of little funny thing. You could turn on the water and, you know, say you're going to put the pig under and then you're going to put the duck under. And, again, you're not narrating like I'm doing now. Let's put pig under the water. Let's put duck under the water. Let's put goat under the water. You need to make it big and really, really simple so that you're modeling the name of the animal and the animal sound and, again, putting it in the context of a little routine. So with the the bathtub and with, you know, um, washing the pig, you know, you might say, and again, Kate, this is a bird from you from our show that we did earlier in the summer talking about um, ways to get language in the bathtub, you know, wash, 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 ooh, pig, wash, 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 pig, what's he say, what's he say, you know, and just be silly and fun and simple and repetitive and know that you're going to have to say that, oh, about five or six five or six hundred more times before you might ever get a verbal response from that. But a lot of times we discount how repetitive and how simple it really needs to be, one, to engage a kid, and two, so that he'll really, really learn it. But putting uh, farm animals in the context of those really simple, easy verbal routines and combining it with sensory play, I think, makes it a lot more fun. And I think you put farm animals in your beans, don't you? Uh, I do have some, yes. I do do that. Um yeah, I think it's, well, I, I kind of have a theory about why maybe sometimes my animal farm play doesn't go as well as uh, it might, but um, I certainly do use them across a variety of, you know, materials, uh, situations, yeah. yeah, not just with the barn. And it seems like I do better without the accessories Without the barn. Than, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and why do you think that is? Because it's simple enough at that point and the kids don't have to really play. They're just really focused yeah. on the language piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you for know, kids, for, for low, lower functioning kids or kids who, you know, there's certainly a cognitive component or attention or a social piece or all of the above, in my mind, if I'm engaging them, if they're if they're watching, if they're attending, if they're responding on any level, for those kids, that's a success. You know, that's exactly. that's a winner. Yeah, you know, <laughs> anything beyond that is a, an added bonus, and I'm thrilled to get it. But if I just get that, that's a success. That's your goal. That's your mm-hmm. first goal, your foundational goal, and it doesn't have to always be about talking for it to be a great therapy activity. And for kids at this developmental level, if you're just waiting and waiting and waiting on words to measure whether you've been successful or not, for some of those kids, you might feel like a horrible therapist or a terrible uh, elicitor of language if you're a mom. And the truth is he's just not there yet. It's not really you per se. He's just not there. You've got to get in there. But the weeks and the months of, of teaching it's what has to come first. And so I think a lot of people forget that. And you're right. The, right. The, if they're looking at you, if they're responding, if they're staying with you and not running away, that's a that's a winner. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. And that comes long before words, long before words. And a lot of times that's not spelled out as clearly as it needs to be to parents. They don't understand that. And so... You know, that's where you have to really break down your goals and look at look at your activities and think, okay, he's not saying that today, but guess what? He stayed with me for five whole minutes. He let me do this routine eight times. He tried to lift up his shirt himself, or he tried to find things in the beans. It wasn't just all about him throwing them all over the den today. He really stayed with me. You've got to look for those small successes along the way, too. And for a lot of our kids at this developmental level, just staying with it and not running away is huge. And so we need to remember that. All right. Another thing that uh, works really well at this level uh, would be using singing. And again, you've already mentioned Old MacDonald. You know, that's the ultimate 
farm animal song, and you will hear a lot of kids try to do the E-I-E-I-O. That might almost be somebody's first word attempt, you know, when you're working with them because that's so repetitive. And it's cute when you're singing that song. And I love Old MacDonald. I think that's a really fun song. And you can do a ton of um, actions with that. I like to do Old MacDonald even when I'm in a group of children and people have said, you know, and asked this on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page last week, and that I hope we can do a whole show about this in an upcoming week about things that you could do when you're in daycares and, you know, the teacher knows you're there so she just sits back like, well, I'm checked out for an hour because this is speech therapy for the whole group. And that happens a lot. And so Old McDonald might be a way that you could almost um, have a little circle time and really model for that teacher a better way of singing Old McDonald than maybe she's done before by using real objects rather than the darn flashcards during circle time. You know, a lot of times preschool teachers, or especially ones that aren't as educated, might try to do farm animals, but their idea of working on farm animals would be holding up the flashcard and saying, what's that? And the kids are all supposed to yell out what animal name it is. And I think that's a horrible idea. You would do much better. What does it? A cow. And, you know, it always seems like when I witness that in action, there is Sometimes one child who knows every animal and every sound or every color and every, you know, yeah. and they they say cow and they say that's right, Jackson or Jason or Jacob. Uh, what does the cow say? Moo! And everybody else is, you know, their eyes are everywhere, but on the picture and they Rolling can really the care floor. less. <laughs> Hitting their say, partner. Well, you you lost nine, but one knows the answer. Good job. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and so using real farm animals and singing Old MacDonald as you have a prop, what's even better is if you've worked a long time like Kate and me and you actually have five or six different animals and enough for every kid in a little group to have one of their own to hold. You know, when I did a playgroup program, that's how we sang Old MacDonald. Everybody held a cow while we sang the cow verse, and then we passed out, everybody had a duck while we sang the duck verse, and that really keeps the kid engaged and really keeps them involved, especially if you are being animated and fun and silly while you're singing it. Um, it's a lot of fun. The the farm song I use more often than Old McDonald, though, and I, it's in uh, Teach Me to Play With You, the first therapy manual I wrote, but it's Animals on the Farm. And this is the one that I sing all the time, and I've probably sung it on the show, but I'm going to sing it again because it's <laughs> it's one that I love. And pardon my singing voice, um, but it's so repetitive and so simple that even kids that have never imitated animal sounds before might try to do it, but you... The pattern is the same. You would sing, uh, you know, the duck on the farm says quack, 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 quack. The duck on the farm says quack, quack, quack all day long. And so, again, because not as many words, not as long of a verse, but simple enough and repetitive enough for a child to kind of hang on to that pattern, um, it's a good one to do, and it's one that I probably would sing more for kids in this developmental level than even Old McDonald. So I love that song. I think it's one that I just naturally it's like the wheels on the bus, but you just right. put in the animal name, and yeah, and a lot of kids are familiar with the tune anyway from Wheels on the Bus, so that's an added yeah. bonus. And who cares if they're not singing? You know, again, at this point, our main goals are to keep them engaged and to help them receptively start to tune in and link meaning with the animal name, with the animal sound. So that would be a fun thing to do, singing. And again, you don't have to have a great voice to sing, and don't be put off if it looks like a child doesn't like singing. It's not really you. It's that he has or she has auditory sensitivities, and that's a sensory issue, uh, a little guy we saw last week, I started singing a cleanup song, and we were asking Mom, does, does he just not like singing? And she said, well, he likes music, but he just he hates that song because he's associated that song with 
transitions, and she said he didn't always like it when people sing. But that didn't really stop me. I kept singing and kept singing that song, too. And he he got okay with it. I mean, he didn't respond as negatively the fifth or sixth time. But, again, it's all in presentation, and it's all in, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it. We're going to make a little more fun. And, you know, again, your little, let's kind of grab him and make him do it in a nice, <laughs> fun kind of way. And we were cleaning up at that point. It's a little bit different thing than what we're talking about now. But don't let a child's um, initial reaction to you be, oh, no, I'm never going to sing to him again. And as therapists, don't get all whacked out about you don't have a great singing voice so you're going to sing or that you're embarrassed or whatever. Sometimes I think the worse I sing, or it takes the pressure off the family because they their, their guard is down. They're like, oh, she's not afraid to be a total, you know, idiot in front of me. She's really singing. It is bad, but that's okay because I can sing like that too. And so, again, don't be so embarrassed and so self-conscious that you don't just go for it when you're, Playing with the kids well, like if that. a bad singing voice is a bonus, then I should be—I should get extra bonus <laughs> points for that because I have no singing voice. And honestly, there was a time years ago that um, I was really embarrassed or hesitant or guarded or you know, I just—I don't—I cannot carry a tune to save my soul anymore at this juncture of my career. I don't really care. I'll do it, and yeah. I just kind of act like whatever I know I can't sing it's not <laughs> you're not going to hurt my feelings um the yeah. kid or the parents and I don't know if it's a bonus with the parents but I do it anyway because it is for some kids a great way to again heighten their responses engage them more fully keep them with you longer mm-hmm. and you know if they're not with you you're not going to have even a shot at at really having any positive effect on what they what they take in. So they got to exactly. be with you, and if it keeps them with you, I don't care how off-tune I am, I'd do it anyway. Yeah, just do it anyway. Just go for it. And, you know, that's a better way. If a kid is trying to run away from you, that's when I might launch into the song. Or really, hopefully, I've read his signals, and I would know before he even got up, like, oh, I'm losing it. We've got to do something new, and go right into a song or right into hiding the animal in his shirt or right into doing kind of a quirky movement thing, maybe hiding the animal under his leg, maybe hiding the animal in my shirt, maybe putting the duck on my head, you know, anything like that when you feel like you're about to lose a kid. Doing something novel and unexpected can bring them back, and it's a lot better than saying, sit right here, you are going to listen to me. We are learning about these farm animals. You cannot run away from me today. You know, so We have to get through the whole bag of farm animals before this activity is complete. Now sit here and listen. Yeah, don't do that. Go with one of as those. As much other as we're approaches. tempted on occasion to say exactly that and and kind of mean that, yeah, that's never effective with a two-year-old, unfortunately. Never. So yeah, and especially a developmentally delayed two-year-old. We're not even talking about a kid who's developmentally two. So you have to really simplify and do something fun and more um, and bigger so that you're going to really hook their attention. The last thing that I wanted to recommend, and, yeah, you're right, Kate, this is going to turn to a whole series. Who knew? I knew Uh, it wasn't a one-nighter, even (laughs) as simple as it sounded. I thought, oh, once I read your outline, well, it's going to take a while. Oh, Laura. Okay, the last (laughs) thing that you can do with kids like this is if you are trying to introduce a barn and trying to get them to sit through what looks like more traditional play, you need to have a component with that that's pretty competitive and pretty simple That you, and think about, okay, this looks more like cause and effect play than real pretend play. And so my barn that I used in um, the Therapy Tip of the Week last week had an open and closed top. So for a kid like that, we would just drop the animals, you know, open the top and you know, I would say open, and then we would drop it in and say boom or or whoosh or whatever silly novel word I thought that he would like, and then close it and maybe do bye-bye or where'd it go, where'd it go, and then open it back up and do 
a peekaboo routine. And I, if I got a kid who really wasn't interested in playing and who developmentally is not there yet, to sit through three or four or seven rounds of that, that would be a huge success in my mind because we were able to use the farm animals and use the barn with it and do that routine over and over and over and he stayed with me. And again, make it animated, make it silly, make it fun, but keep it moving pretty fast. And usually kids who are in that developmental level like that whole in and out piece. They're still kind of working on that whole cognitive dump it in, take it out, dump it in, take it out, dump it in, take it out. Lots of our friends on the spectrum get kind of stuck in that phase. But use it. Use that knowledge to think, okay, he's not really ready to play with the barn yet, but he might like it if we dump several things in that top and we closed it real fast and made a big deal about it and then opened it back up again. So that would be a fun routine that I would try to use. And let me say one thing that I said on the video and then we're going to wrap up this week's show. If you're doing a barn with a kid who's in this developmental level, try not to use ones that have, that are electronic, that have the sounds. And again, some parents will see that and certainly those toy manufacturers think that's the greatest thing ever. But when a kid gets stuck on pushing those buttons and you hear, bah, 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 you know, 1,500 times. times in a they row. They're not learning what the sheet says. Yeah. They're not. They're just, they're perseverating. Perseverating is a fancy word for stuck, repetitively stuck. And they're not processing language when you're doing, they're doing that. They're just caught in their own little loop. And when we explain that to parents, again, sometimes that takes some gentle wording because they really think, oh, he likes the sheep. That's his favorite one. He wants to hear that over and over. Surely he knows this. No, he's just stuck on that action of pushing the button. And we see that not with just a toy like this, but with virtually every kind of electronic toy. And that's why if you have a child who gets stuck on that kind of thing, you need to remove those toys so that he can move on and learn, have some better play skills, and learn to do something besides sitting in that little loop. And and so let your batteries wear down if you don't have the heart to just kind of remove all those toys. Don't replace the batteries once they're dead. And that or will take be the a batteries big, big out. Bonus. Yeah. Big bonus for your kid. And then he'll be able to move on and figure out some other ways that are more appropriate to play with the barn. But a lot of parents, again, don't really recognize what that behavior is. So we have to talk about that, and we have to talk about he's not really learning anything else. He he can't help himself. You know, he's, he's just he's stuck right there. So we don't want to limit his play by giving him only toys that present that opportunity over and over and over again because he can't ever really get past it. It's almost like an, you know, and again, don't get mad if I'm saying this, but it's like an addict. You know, he can't... <laughs> He can't do anything but that. And that's just where he is developmentally. But if you'll take that opportunity away, it'll be easier for him to move on. And those kids then do get more engaged, and they're able to use the toy in a more appropriate way with teaching and with some time. But don't let kids get stuck in that right. phase. It but may if not I have be a, automatic that they yeah. improve you know, instantly. But, boy, have I had... Many, 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 many parents who, and it can be difficult because frequently these are the kids who like those toys a whole lot. Right. They like the little computer toys. They like the bells and, well, I always call them bells and whistles toys. All mm-hmm. those toys where you push the button and it says something or the light blinks and there's music and, you know, they're very um, flashy and kids oftentimes whose play skills are very delayed really like those toys and parents kind of you know when you initially say well you know I'm not really sure that this is a great way for him to be spending his day pushing these buttons they think oh that's what he does that's what he loves right it, it, right it is a lot of times what they love but you know for every parent who initially gasped when I said that um, those who actually followed through and, and really, really restricted exposure to those. And, and in addition, let's just go ahead and put the TV on there as well. Yeah. Because 
lot of times it's those same kids who love those bells and whistles, lights and sounds, toys, also really, really, really get sucked into TV. You know, know, those are the kids I say the bomb could go off and they don't blink. Um, When they get rid of those things, they begin to see their kids really, really, again, with some help, with some um, support from therapists and certainly parents, they begin to slow down and really play with things. And, you know, the, right. the quality of their play improves sometimes mm-hmm. quite dramatically because they've mm-hmm. had that kind of um, ability to just kind of... Uh, <laughs> what is that? You know, it's kind of stimmy yeah. play. As Laura calls it perseverative. It's just, in in some way, it's very gratifying it's, for kids, but really developmentally yeah, it's, it's not doing anything. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's and it's so, stereotypic, and those are words mm-hmm. that we associate with the autism spectrum. And if those are new words for you, go Google them. If you're a parent, yeah. really, it means that they're they're stuck on it, and they can't get past it. And you need to help them by not providing so many opportunities for you know the family that we saw last week. I just loved them, and she said. <laughs> That they her mom came so that they could do a big intervention. I don't know if you heard her say that. Did you hear us talk no. about that? So that they could Mm-mm. remove all the electronic toys from their homes because from their home because their child loves those toys. And he she said we had leapfrog everything, and mm-hmm. she had her mom come. And again, she said, you know, I felt terrible about that because I felt like I was taking away the only thing he really loved. But we did it anyway because I realized he couldn't really play with anything and nothing was really meaningful. Even when he was sitting there doing it, he wasn't learning letters. He wasn't learning numbers. Mm-hmm. He was just pushing the button all day. And she said, and we had a lot of that. And it really, I needed help to be able to do it too. So my mom came. And so, you know, of course she <laughs> made it so funny and so cute. Uh, but it's it's the truth. Well, and, and her uh, mom I, happened to be an educator too, so I think sure. she... She knew that her mom recognized it probably needed to happen. But, yeah, it can be tough. I mean, but normally it's surprising. Again, I've had to give that lecture to a lot of parents. And normally kids um, go through the withdrawal process and the transition from that sort of play to more functional, appropriate play more Mm -hmm. easily than parents expect. You know what I mean? It's not as horrible as the parents think it's going to be. And they're right. most uh, more often than not very pleasantly surprised with the type, types of activities that the kids are able to replace that with. You know, exactly. It, it can Over be time. very beneficial. Yeah. Exactly. So. Right. Anyway, Miss Laura, that's the end of our show. We only got through a couple of pages of those notes. So next week <laughs> we'll be continuing this same topic with farm animals. And again, let me just say this theory or this kind of way to play, it doesn't have to just be restricted to farm animals. You can use zoo animals. You can use little little people. You can use dinosaurs. You can use cars and trucks. All of these strategies or techniques are still going to be relevant no matter what your material is. So I want you to try to think about that even as we move on to next week, which will be the, the next developmental stage where your kid is at least a little bit interested in starting to do what we would think about as pretend play. So that's where we'll start next week. Any parting uh, words, Kate, before I play the music? No, just that I'm going to go. Um, I still have some in my car, but I need some added stuff after watching your therapy tip of the week. I need to go in my attic and dig a little deeper <laughs> So that I, next week I can give a report on how my my farm play went this week. That's there it. you go. Well, I will be waiting anxiously to hear how that went and get new ideas. Okay. From you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.